Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, boy, it's going to be a long year. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. <laughs> there's Jerry over there. And uh, this is Stuff You Should Know. Long year. The, the year is always the same length. I almost forgot the word podcast in the intro. That's an indicator it's going to be a long year. We're, we're only going to do Subjectively. this. Subjectively. <laughs> we're only going to do this a hundred more times this year. 102. Yeah, but we just did one. And now oh, 103. This one. So a hundred more. Oh, 101 more? I think we do 104 a year. Do we? Jerry? Yeah. Because it's 52 weeks times two, 104. Oh, that's what I meant. So we've done one. I was just joking, Not by the way, when one, I said Jerry. 102 more. Uh, <laughs> she looks good. Good Lord. That's what I'm saying. Long year, buddy. Jerry's got on her uh, principal shoes. She does. You, Josh just made Jerry walk up and down the hall so I could hear <laughs> the clip-clop of her, of her wooden heel. And it definitely made me, like, I had a little PTSD of, like, oh, boy, yeah. someone's coming after us. It sounded like the principal was coming and we were in the, the office. We were smoking in the boys' room. Yeah. Which I never did. I never did either, man. Even when I was a high school smoker, I was like, are you out of your mind? You How smoked you in, the, smoke in, in the, the lobby. In the, <laughs> I'd like escape, you know, campus to smoke or whatever. Was there a smoking section at your school? No, no, I wasn't that. What am I, like your age? <laughs> uh, I don't think there was by the time I got there either, but I definitely remember maybe the first year or so, but I definitely remember when my sister mm-hmm. was at my high school. Yeah. She's six years older. There was a smoking area by the dumpster. Yeah. And like, that's where they had it roped off where students isn't, could go smoke. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's awesome. They're like, hey, we know it's a long day. If you need to go, <laughs> if you need to go light up, just do it over here. Yeah. That's the official place. <laughs> yeah. If you need to go cool it up. It's so some funny. cools. Yeah. Or f- go feel alive with pleasure. Uh, I think that's Newport. Yeah, I think so. so. I did smoke on a plane a couple times. I was on one flight that I remember that had smoking, an international flight. And it was it like— It's crazy. Yeah. There's no barrier, no partition, no nothing. It's just these are the rows that you can sit in yeah, and smoke. which is all based—the whole plane is a smoking section at yeah, that point. Yeah, it is crazy. It's always funny when I see movies where people are smoking on buses and <laughs> in planes and restaurants and— it's really different time, different day, different era. Speaking of a different time, I guess it qualifies as a different time. Yeah. Um, I think today, Chuck, that we should talk about the era when people went postal. That's right. And I'm looking at something up relevant, by the way. I'm not just checking my email right now. Oh, well, I'll tap dance for us then. <laughs> well, I was just curious if there was a band called Going Postal, not if, but how many there were. Sure. And I just typed in Going Postal Band, and uh, I see quite a few Facebook pages called Going Postal Band Twitter accounts. Yeah. Go, going different. Postal, some with an N with a little uh, apostrophe, Going Postal. Sure. Those are the little more loosey-goosey, like Jimmy Buffett style. Like Yacht Rocky. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, of course people would take something horrific like workplace shootings and turn it into a band name. Dude, not only a band name, there's a franchise of mail centers, like where you get your mail sent to, called Going no. Postal. Swear to God. Really? Nationwide franchise. Interesting. Any article that you read about the post office, 
it'll be called like going postal. Mm-hmm. Like it's completely been co-opted. Oh yeah. And removed from its context so much so that I would guess our younger listeners aren't fully aware of where that whole thing comes from. Yeah, and I think not that it's cool and acceptable, but I think the reason it's even allowed to happen to name things this now mm-hmm. is because we are now in an era where that term uh as we'll learn in this podcast and we've talked about the golden age of skyjacking and the golden age of this and that. Dysentery. There was a weird golden age of postal workers shooting up their workplaces. Yeah. And it hasn't happened that much since then. And yeah. so that's what I think has allowed people to be like, hey, good band name, huh? So I think Because that... no one would call a band school shooter now. No. You know, because that's the active horrific thing going on. But it's the same thing, and it, you could make a really good argument or case that it grew out of the Absolutely. postal shootings. Sure. Uh, these were the first workplace mass shootings that America was exposed to. And I would put to you, not that people don't shoot up post offices any longer, mm-hmm. but that when it does happen, it is no longer even remotely as newsworthy as it once was. Because at the beginning, we didn't understand what the heck was going on. Mm-hmm. Now... We understand firsthand, all of us, anybody who has a job in America now understands what's going on. And it's also spread from beyond the post office into offices around the country, businesses around the country, and even into schools. Churches. Some people. You name it. Yeah. Yeah. Some people make the argument that neoliberalism is to blame. And I'm okay with that. And we'll explore that more later. Yeah. I know neoliberalism. Did you like that I'm trying new things in the t- in 2020? <laughs> it was good. All right. Uh, did you practice your delivery? Or mm-hmm. all right, well done. I, I nailed it. I think. I think so too. Uh, I know that that podcast on is looming on neoliberalism. It's, yeah, it's long been on your list. Yeah. So just a matter of getting around to it. I don't know how objective we'll, we'll be. Maybe. 2021. Maybe. How about five years from now? Sure. All right. Within the next five years, let's say that. If we are still blessed enough to be doing this job. You keep saying that because apparently every time you do, 10 years passes and <laughs> everybody's like, "Aren't? can you believe that you even said that? So just keep saying that because I want to keep doing this. I think it's kind of neat to think about like having a 20-plus year partnership. Yeah. Like there might be a podcasting Hall of Fame one day. We can go visit it, buy sure. tickets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at Mark Marin and mm-hmm. uh, Karen in Georgia. And... Yeah, maybe they'll give us a senior discount. <laughs> All right, so we should talk about. Uh, and did you write this one actually? No, Dave Ruse did. Oh man, he did a great job. Yeah, he did. Uh, and the way he put together the story, I think, works well. We're we going to follow this format. Why not? Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. That's my mantra in 2020. <laughs> and how long are you going to do that? <laughs> it's it's like January. I've got to do it all this month. So uh, he starts off with a story of a man named Patrick Henry Sherrill, a 44-year-old man in Oklahoma City. He's mm-hmm. uh, known in his neighborhood as Crazy Pat. Yeah. He was a big dude. He was a loner. Um, he had a lot of – he ticked a lot of boxes when it comes to mass shootings he was basically like Pyle from Full Metal Jacket when he was in the yeah. movies, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, he was a loner. Um, he'd been caught as a peeping Tom. Um, he hurt animals. He would tie cats and dogs to fences mm-hmm. with bailing wire. Not nice. Not nice at all. Uh, he was shy. He was awkward. Didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, he joined the Marine Corps, uh, which is where he learned how to shoot. Cue Private Pyle once again. Right. 
And then after the Marines, he moved in with his mom. Uh, and when she died in 1978, he was alone with his ham radio. Don't want to throw any shade at ham radio, uh, at the hams out there. No, because remember, we found out in our episode on ham radios that, like, they are the most courteous. That's right. Like, civic-minded people around. Yeah. So this is a bad apple. Right, right. He doesn't exemplify the ham radio community. And I didn't even want to mention that. But the idea of him alone with his ham radio bears mentioning it. You can't obfuscate the truth, Chuck. (laughs) He's got to bring it out, address it, and then, you know, keep going. Uh, In 84. That's the mantra in 2020. (laughs) In 84, he enlisted in the National Guard of Oklahoma. Uh, And in 1985, he started work as, you know what, a postal carrier in Edmond, Oklahoma. Right. So he, um, by all accounts, was a, I don't know if disturbed is the right word, but maybe it is. Mm -hmm. Certainly a a less balanced individual than than probably the average person for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So when he was uh, told that he um, was going to be fired if he didn't shape up, he wasn't super great at his job. No, he wasn't. According to his supervisors, he would deliver mail the wrong address um, he would be late to work a lot, and he was given a a notice like you you're going to be fired if you don't if you don't start doing what we want you to. That's right. Uh, the next day, he showed up to work, and without saying a word, this is what makes this one so creepy. Yeah, he went to his supervisor. He went to find the postmaster, and he shot them without saying a word, and he started moving around his workplace at this Edmond, Oklahoma post office, and within 15 minutes had killed 15 people, including himself. Yeah. um, Side note, one of those people was the grandson of uh, Notre Dame football coach Newt Rockney. Yeah. Um, People were locking themselves in vaults. Uh, They survived. Yeah. So he didn't kill everyone in the office. Which you might be asking, why does the post office have a vault? Stamps. Yeah. They really care about those stamps. They do. Valuable. They are. Go ahead. Uh, People hiding in offices and uh, under their desks. And by the time the SWAT team gets there, uh, they find him dead at his desk. He went to his desk and uh, killed himself. Right. So 15 minutes, killed 15 people, including himself. Mm -hmm. And did it without saying a word from what all people are saying. Yeah. And this was um, one of the bloodiest uh, events in American history. Uh, mass shootings at the time. Um, there were a couple before this, but this was pretty early on in mass shootings. Um, yeah, America had not really been fully acquainted with mass shootings yet. They were no so rare, so rare that they were huge, huge, huge stories. And they also seemed like total anomalies, not yeah. the very beginnings of a pattern that was starting to emerge. That right. is not what people thought of these things at the time. They. You couldn't – if you go back and, like, watch Dan Rather reporting on this, oh, yeah. he can't make heads or tails of it. It's yeah. just the most senseless thing. That's what they use, senseless, nonsensical, insensible. Like, they just couldn't understand it. Yeah, the one um, – of course, the famous 66 clock tower uh, sniper in, at the University of Texas. Have you ever seen that documentary on that? No. It's done in, like, the animation. Oh, wow. They run it through the animation software, like, in Waking Life. Wow. It, somehow it makes it even more disturbing. Uh, I have not seen that, but I'm going to see it because this stuff fascinates me. Um, the the 84 one, I don't know if we should ever cover that one. I don't know either. The one at McDonald's in California was just yeah. horrific. Yeah. 
uh, that and the difference between that one and most of these take place over. It always seems like it's like six minutes, ten minutes, twelve minutes. Mm-hmm. The one at the McDonald's was seventy-seven minutes. Yeah, of just bloodshed and shooting. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it was. So, uh, but they were still anomalies. They were anomalies, and this was the first one that took place in an office. Uh, the D- New York Daily News said. Cheryl put a new wrinkle to this kind of violence. He brought it into the office. Right. So he was not the first postal carrier to come to his workplace and shoot up the place. No. Right? Um, he he targeted, like, the back office. But there there have been a couple before. I saw even going back into the 70s where postal workers had come to work and shot the place up, usually targeting a supervisor. Yeah, and it's it was never this many people, I think, was one of the big differences. That's a huge difference. Yeah, the one in South Carolina, 83, I think, was just one person um, killed with a 12-gauge. Uh, the postmaster barricaded himself in a storage room, mm-hmm. ironically, of a convenience store. You'll see why later, so just put a pin in that. Mm. Uh, but was actually killed in the convenience store across the street. Yeah, and actually it wasn't just him. There were other people barricaded in that convenience store storage room with him, but he was the only one he shot. Right. And that's a pattern that started to emerge. The more people started looking into these things, the more they were like, a lot of these are, they're they're not random. Right. These guys let people live that they could have easily killed, Uh and they went out of their way to find people who they did kill or tried to kill. And a lot of times it would be their supervisor or the postmaster, somebody who was in charge of bossing them around, or possibly a coworker who had, you know, um, gotten a promotion instead of them. Yeah, that happened specifically in one case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another guy was stalking a, a coworker, and he came to work. Um, and I think he didn't end up killing her. Is that right? No, he killed a she male wasn't there. employee. Yeah, she wasn't there. Killed yeah. a male employee instead. So. By the time this 1986 Edmonds, Oklahoma, a lot of people will point to that as like, that's not the first postal shooting. Right. This is the one that really started to catch everybody's attention. Yeah. From 86 to 99, there were 15 different incidences uh, or incidents that involved. Colonialists. (laughs) Which you were right, by the way. I know, but it's just a mouthful. Um, That involved current or former postal workers killing coworkers. Uh, 34 people over a 13-year period, yeah, which included that 14 in Oklahoma. Yeah. A lot of people point to 1993 as the peak of the going postal era, not even necessarily because of all the bloodshed that mm-hmm. year. I mean, there were some in 93, but more just the um, way that it leached into the cultural consciousness by that time. I think 93 was when it first appeared in print too, right? 93 was when it appeared in print in the St. Petersburg, Florida Times. And ironically, they were talking about a symposium on workplace violence that was sponsored by the United States Postal Service. And the article says, um, which has seen the U.S. Postal Service has seen so many outbursts that in some circles, excessive stress is known as going postal. This is 93. Mm -hmm. That same year, Seinfeld debuted, I think they debuted Newman as a character. And they basically said, he's a postal worker. And referenced mm-hmm. postal workers going crazy. Should we do the scene? Sure. Um, who, who, do you would you li- <laughs> who would you like to be? I'll be Newman. Oh, okay. Who are you? I got to be George then. Okay. I, I mean, you had to tell the people is what I mean. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were presenting me with a, a fake choice. No. 
let me. Uh, this is George. Let me ask you something. What do you do for a living, Newman? That's my George. <laughs> I'm a United States postal worker. Aren't those the guys that always go crazy and come back with a gun and shoot everybody? Sometimes. Nice. I remember that scene. So do I. I went and looked at it. There's actually more to it. Yeah. Did they ask what him happened? why? And Newman actually explains it. And there's actually a lot of water to his explanation, it'll turn out. He says, Oh, the, the, the mail never stops. The mail never stops. That's right. It's always coming. It's always, and then it's Publishers Clearinghouse Week or right. something like that. <laughs> He's like, It never, they have to like snap him out of like this tirade that he goes on. But it's, it's actually supposedly part of what was responsible for this phenomenon is the ceaseless pressure to constantly move the mail as fast as possible. I've been watching Seinfeld a lot lately. Yeah? Yeah. What do you think? It's great. It holds up pretty well, huh? Holds up pretty well. Yeah. It's it's and it's funny to hear uh Larry David um cuz this was before I knew I knew he created Seinfeld, but it was before Curb, so I didn't know what he looked like or sounded like. Right. And he uses his voice a lot. Like he's the voice of Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner, sure. And uh there's a couple of other things like there'll just be a random off-screen line and mm-hmm. it's Larry David yeah. and now watching it it just cracks me up. It's great. Uh, but yeah, it holds it pretty well. Obviously, it, it, some of it, we're in different times now. Yeah. Some of it's kind of like untoward, but uh, not too bad. Okay. I'll just say that. Yeah. It was it was the 90s. No, I know it was a different era. Different era. And that was even the emergence of the PC era. Yeah. But uh, yeah, compared to today, it's it's like, yeah. like you can't see that kind no, of you stuff. Can't. Um, Should we take a break, or you got? I got one more cultural right. reference. There was a um, there was a Simpsons, and I don't know what year it came out, but I'll bet it was around ninety three. Yeah, where um, F- Flanders and Homer become like best friends because Flanders takes Homer to a football game, mm-hmm. and Flanders learns that he can't stand Homer and doesn't like to be around him, <laughs> and he has a dream where where he climbs a clock tower with a gun and starts shooting that. at everybody. He's like, "There's Homer." There's another Homer. Uh-huh. There's Homer. <laughs> and one of the people he shoots at is a, a postal carrier who drops his mailbag and produces like an assault rifle and starts shooting <laughs> back. And it's just the most casual thing that d- yeah. requires zero explanation whatsoever because yeah. by this time, everyone it. knew, go in postal. Mail carriers, they're not just like some friendly guy who, you know, gets, you know, chased off by a dog every once in a right. while. It's the worst thing that happens. This guy is like on the verge of cracking and killing everybody. Yeah. And he comes to my house every day. Like, what is going on? And this is 1993 when that kind of started to really rise to the surface, that that question. Yeah, and like you hinted at, I'm, I'm glad you picked this because it's there, uh, as it turns out, there is something to it. It wasn't just coincidence. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in other cases right after this. All right. So, like we said, most of these killings occurred roughly over 86 to about 97, um, but they date back to 83 and as late as 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, one, uh, another big famous one was 1991. Uh, Thomas uh, McIlvain, he was in it's, Michigan. Yeah, in Royal Oak, Michigan, just above Detroit. Yeah, this guy was a martial arts enthusiast, and he was in the Marine Corps as well. And he was discharged dishonorably for running over a car with a tank. Okay, so 
I was watching a. Um, I read that as cat, by the way, the first like three times I read this. Running over a cat with the tank? Yeah, and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. But it was a car. I'm which glad they discharged him. Not as bad. Uh, no. Um, Unless there was a cat in the car. <laughs> Unless Tuntis was, <laughs> driving. was driving. Yeah. <laughs> Tuntis knew about going postal. Um, so there, there's a, uh, a documentary out there called Murder by Proxy How America Went Postal. And they go to great lengths to to basically say Thomas McElvain was not totally off his rocker. Like he was considered by his coworkers still today, people who were there when he came and shot up the place, victims of his shooting. Still, some of them will say, I don't condone what he did, but I totally understand it. Right. And when he, his treatment. Yes, because he was treated so poorly by the management and so aggressively poorly and hostily that that they basically said like this was just a powder keg waiting to happen and when they heard that this was going on they didn't know who it was not they said like we didn't just think oh, i was tom tom mcelvain right they, they said it could have been guy. any one of us yeah because this the this air this was so toxic there so yes it's easy to characterize him as a, a wingnut because right. he shot up his post office and killed a bunch of people yeah but there are other people who were there who say that's that's uh, that's not a full picture of of who he was yeah, I mean, if there's a situation where there is a um, a, a workplace shooting and 100% of the people don't go, oh, well, it was this guy, mm-hmm. uh, then it might bear looking into the to the workplace environment. Right, Again, yeah, yeah. not condoning in any yeah, way no, at all. Or, or, yeah. But it's like it, it, he – it's just interesting to think about. And once we see the reports that came out later, like I said, there is some weight to some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, Ninety-three. I mean, McIlvain. I guess we should say, um, in six minutes, killed four people, wounded four others, killed himself. He let off a hundred rounds of shells. Yeah, in six minutes. That's. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Dude, that McDonald's guy had an Uzi. Oh, uh, I know. I, I. There are very few people that I hate, but I hate that man. Yeah. Hate him. Yeah. It was. It he was, was a despair. Human being. Yeah. So 93 was, and I remember this actually. Um, there were two post office shootings on the same day mm-hmm. in 93. I remember I was in college at the time mm-hmm. and it was in the middle of the going postal era, yeah. all the headlines. And I remember two of them happened on the same day and it was almost, I mean, it was horrific, but it was almost like this weird. Like you got to be kidding me. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this was back pre-widespread internet even, and we, it was still like a big deal on campus, everyone talking about it. Sure, yeah, I can imagine. Um, because it, I think it confirmed this general suspicion that hadn't yeah. been confirmed officially that there's something going on and there's something to this going postal thing. Yeah, and one of them was not a mail carrier, uh, and one of them was a mechanic. Right. And another that was passed over for a promotion. Killed two people, wounded two others. Yeah, his name was Larry Jason. And this is the one who killed the woman who got his job. No, he was he went after the woman. Oh, no, 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 you're right. I'm sorry. I think he wounded her. I don't know if he killed her. Oh, yeah, wounded two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including supervisor and the woman who he got He killed his job. two people and then wounded two others. And then the other guy was uh, Mark Hilburn in California. Uh, he killed his mother and her home before going to the post office, and he's the one that was looking for a woman that he was stalking. She wasn't there, so he killed someone else. Right. He was, that's actually kind of an atypical case that. 
You right. could you could make a case doesn't necessarily qualify as going postal because he wasn't disgruntled uh-huh. by being mistreated or whatever. Right. It was a stalking thing. Right. Which is bad enough. Sure. Workplace homicide involving stalking is horrible. Yeah. As far as going postal, it probably doesn't actually qualify. Yeah, and then 2006, it was a pretty interesting one um, because mass shootings very rarely are uh, at the hands of a woman. But uh, Jennifer San Marcos in Goleta, California, which is just outside Santa Barbara, um, and this was in 2006, uh, she killed how many people here? Six, I believe. She killed six coworkers. Yeah. And notably, all six of them were people of color. Yeah, this was in 2006. She was a very disturbed individual and yes. had put out a lot of signs to her employers, including having to be carted away literally in a mail cart uh, in handcuffs from the postal sorting facility she worked at um, and committed for 72 hours again, involuntarily. Yeah. Um, and she came back years later and killed uh, six people on a rampage. She was known to be extraordinarily racist and just spout just like racist stuff and out mentally, loud. And severely mentally ill. To, right, to herself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she she basically raised a lot of red flags, and I guess they, they let her go, and then she surprised everybody by coming back years later. Yeah, and side note, um, she applied for a permit at one point in her life to publish a newspaper called The Racist Times. Mm. And I guess they were like, nah, well, she we're, applied we're, for a, a business license to 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 start a company to publish that. I right. Guess. Yeah. And I, I guess was rightfully denied. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Can you? I don't know. Can you, as a local government, say Is like that free speech? Yeah, I would think so, especially to local governments. But well, maybe she just didn't have it notarized in, or something. In two thousand five, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. By the way, I'm going to apply. One of my goals is to be a notary. Oh, really? Yeah. I heard Nick Thune became one. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a very Nick Thune thing to do. He said, everything I read in 2020 is going to get a receipt. Signs, newspapers, magazines, <laughs> receipts. So I guess he's going to be, a, he's going to notarize everything. Yeah, I got something notarized the other day. And then I don't think you can notarize your own stuff, or can you? That seems unethical. Yeah, so it's not like I want to do it, because first of all, I don't need notaries that much. Sure. It's not like to save time, but I just thought, what an interesting, weird, kind of fun thing. Yeah. You know, Chuck Bryant, podcaster. Notary public. I think you should get that, like, wrapped around your minivan. Yeah. You know? Get, I like, have a minivan, logo. for sure. I'd have to well, get a minivan. Step one's getting a minivan. <laughs> this is your list for 2020. Get a minivan. Uh-huh. Become a notary. Get a rap saying as much on your minivan. Have you seen that SUV here on the parking deck, uh, the Kim Brothers Karate, that's wrapped? <laughs> no. Oh, it's great, because <laughs> the whole side of it is this guy getting a stomach kick, <laughs> and he's just like, ugh. <laughs> That's awesome. In silhouette, a photo? A no, drawing? it's a full-on photo. Very, it's like the size of the whole backseat door. Nice. And uh, advertising Kim Brothers karate. Check that out. It's very, very awesome. It worked for him. <laughs> it's pretty good. The rap worked. They're like, that was $400 well spent. And by the way, I wouldn't charge for my notary services either. That's the whole. It's not like to make extra. It's not a side hustle. Okay, but the thing is, is like people don't value stuff that they get for free. I, my notary did it for free. Okay. She even came in to work early to do it, and I was like, what do I owe you? She said, nothing. I went, no, seriously. And she said, I'm running for judge. She handed me a thing. She said, just vote for me. Okay, so that's not free. And I was like, that's illegal. That's quid pro quo. <laughs> quid pro quo. Oh, you don't even know what that means. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, dude, it's Spanish, right? 
Um, my daughter was watching. She frozen in Spanish the other day. Uh-huh. And I went to change it. She went, no, I want to leave it in Spanish. She said, SAP, SAP. And then she came out going, Gozos, I was like, what are you doing? She said, I'm speaking Spanish. So was she speaking Spanish and you just didn't understand or was no. it gibberish? <laughs> it was gibberish, but I said, you know who speaks Spanish? Mm-hmm. It's a Jerry's daughter. And oh, she yeah. went, really? I said, yeah. And so is she going to learn Spanish now to speak to Jerry's daughter? At some point she's, she's going to. I don't know when, but <laughs> I'm going to get her going. You know what I want to do? I want to go on some like archaeological trip to the Middle East, and then we'll overhear some scholar speaking Aramaic, and you'll realize that that's what was saying after she watched Frozen Two. <laughs> yeah, right. Just like in in uh, in um, what was this a movie? And not only is it Aramaic, but it's like the location of Jimmy Hoffa's body or something. <laughs> right, right. No. In Aramaic or like the the Holy Grail. What was the oh the Exorcist? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or she's maybe, yeah, like some ancient tongue. Right. <laughs> should we take a break? I feel <laughs> yeah. like we're really off the rails. We should have taken a break like seven minutes ago. All right. We're going to take a break and we're going to go. Uh, it's actually a good spot because we're going to talk about whether or not there was something to going postal right at the end. Let's get serious again, okay? because you would think uh, that after these sort of a series of shootings over a period of about a decade, mm-hmm. even though that final one was in 2006, it was a bit of an outlier, that there would be big investigations into what's going on at the U.S. Postal Service. Mm-hmm. And did that happen? There was, but it was ill-conceived. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, so by this time when people are saying, like, going postal, it's a thing. Your postal carrier is going to snap and shoot up your whole family or whatever. The Postal Service realizes it has a PR problem on its hands. Exactly. So they hire a former secretary of uh, health and human services named Joseph Joseph Califano Jr. And he leads a commission. He chairs a commission to look into this going postal thing and to the great relief and $4 million payment that the, uh, of the Postal Service. Uh, you mean the U.S. taxpayer? Right, yes. Yeah. Um, Califano and his his um, group come back and say, going postal is a myth. Yeah, and this was after a report by the General Accounting Office that did their own investigation and report. Uh, they actually issued six reports mm-hmm. on poor labor management relations. That's just the GAO alone. Yeah, the toxic work environment there. Um and so the U.S. Postal Service, via our money, mm-hmm. like you said, threw down $4 million bucks to try and clean that report up. Right. And and so the Califano report is what it's called. It was pretty clever in its, in its goals and execution. Yeah, for sure. It basically said, we're going to look at the CDC stats about workplace deaths mm-hmm. and workplace homicides in particular. And we're going to just compare stuff statistically. And they did. And they found that not only is it not particularly dangerous to work at the post office, but that some other professions like um, working as a convenience store clerk. That was the th- irony that I said to put a pin in. Right. Or working as a uh, taxi driver. Sure. Is far, far uh, riskier as far as your chances of being killed in a homicide go. Yeah, 150 times likelier if you're a taxi driver mm-hmm. than a postal worker. Eight times as much 
if you're a retail worker, and basically most of those are convenience store clerks. Right. Like killed during a robbery. Yeah, exactly. Or watch a, a postal a postmaster get killed in your supply room. That's right. Either way, not a good day at work. I wonder which one that qualified for, for the CDC. Because it was in a convenience store. Yeah, that's true. But it was a postal service employee. I think it would be reflexive, meaning it would be, Go it'd back have to, to be at your workplace. Oh, okay. I think it would qualify as having been a... Both? Uh, maybe. Yeah. At that point, I think the CDC's like, fine, both. This is just too convoluted. Yeah, I picture like a meeting with a bunch of people sitting around smoking cigarettes, uh-huh. kind of debating this one. Right. And then one guy just sticking a big bite of a club sandwich, just saying, just throw it in both. Right. They're like, this is after the new Gingrich Bob Barr era, so we're not even allowed <laughs> to use the word gun in the report. We have to just say homicide by bang bang or something Whoa. like that. You know? <laughs> by bang bang. <laughs> Um, so the Califano report comes out, uh, and again, it's at the very least a, a pretty convenient reading of statistics by the Postal Service. It is, and they basically said they had a press release. They held like all sorts of interviews, and they had Califano, this respected, you know, like government servant, public servant, come out and say, no, not only is this a bad rap for the post office, going postal is a myth, and to work at the post office, why you couldn't find a safer place to work in the United States. Yeah. CDC statistics bear it out. Here it is in black and white. And the press ate it up because the idea that America and American culture was wrong, that our intuition had gotten yeah. it wrong, and that actually it turns out that the whole thing's a myth. You and I would eat that up normally. Sure. But we get the even greater pleasure of saying that the Califano report was a myth and that that's where a lot of people's reporting stops. Even today, if you look up going postal and the idea of working at the post office being dangerous, some reporting stops right there that the Califano report proved that it was a myth. Yeah. And it turns out that other people came along and said, this Califano report is way off and here's the truth. Going postal is actually quite real. Right. It's just that the Califano commission went at it from the wrong the direction. Yeah. yeah. Well, kind of purposefully. Yeah. Not kind of purposefully, very much purposefully. Four million dollars purposefully. Yeah. Uh, notably, the one man named Stephen uh, Musako, he's a, th- I don't even know what accent that was. You've been off a couple of weeks, <laughs> you can tell. He is a 34-year veteran, or was at the time of the USPS, worked, it says here, nearly every capacity. I think he had a lot of jobs mm-hmm. at the Postal Service. And he wrote a book called Beyond Going Postal. Chug, we should also say that his one of those jobs is very important. He was a um, workplace improvement analyst. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that he was responsible for doing was figuring out what caused workplace violence at the post office. Right. So he wasn't just like, you know, just some guy who had some ideas. Like right. this guy had learned firsthand what was really going on at the post office. And he saw this Califano report as a whitewash. Yeah, I mean, he he said, and he used their own statistics, but he also used his own, you know, personal experience, mm-hmm. uh, anecdotal from his own point of view and the research he did as that workplace improvement analyst. Right. And he was like, you know, um, let's look at the stats. The National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, part of the CDC said that 13% of worker-on-worker homicides in the 80s were postal employees even though they account for three-quarters of 1% of the civilian workforce. So three-quarters of a percent of the workforce is responsible for 13% of the worker-on-worker workplace homicides. Yeah, and I think he was the, I don't know about the first, but one of the major voices that was saying, 
okay, so you might get killed more often as a taxi driver, but not by another taxi driver. Right. And the very definition of going postal. It's not Mary Lou Henner walking in and shooting Judd Hirsch <laughs> right. in the taxi bay. That would be going postal. Exactly. Right. Or going taxi. Sure. Well, it'd still be going postal. I guess so. It applied everywhere. Right. But it, it means a worker on worker, usually homicide. Right. Almost always in the workplace, usually related to work. I can't believe that it took someone to write a book to point this out. Right. And why everyone was going, oh, wait a minute. A convenience store employee getting robbed and killed right. is not the same as going in there and shooting up your office. Yeah. I, I know. It's kind of bizarre. I'll bet the alternative press was all over it, but it took this right. guy to come along and write this book and be like, hey, hey, let me spell it out for you. So that was one thing was he just basically said, hey, like, yes, going postal is real, and here's the stats that prove it. Yeah, and here's why. Yeah, that was another big one. Basically, it's a pretty toxic environment. Uh, they did a sur- The Califano report itself did a survey of 20,000 postal employees uh, on their culture and – Compare that to national averages in other uh, professions. And this is stuff, like I said, it's in the Califano report mm-hmm. that said uh, postal workers scored way, way lower than the national average in all seven areas of positive attitude towards management. Yeah, including— That was a big sticking point. Including, like, do you agree with the statement, I am confident in the fairness and honesty of management? Right. They're like, no— no, not really. Do you feel like you have autonomy at work? That was a big one. No, well, not nobody, but they scored 39% favorable rating compared to the national average of 77. So basically half as much Yep. said that they felt that they had autonomy or any kind of um, ability to direct their own work or self. Yeah, and it's. I wonder why, but it seems like the Postal Service, more than other jobs, had a culture, and it seems like they've tried to correct it. But um, so I can't speak to like the current status. Mm -hmm. But when I worked there in the 80s, (laughs) it seems like it had this weird culture of management being militaristic and talking down and dressing down employees in front of other employees. Yeah. So that was it. I mean, plain and simple. Like that was the style. It was a kind of a I saw it described as a paramilitary style. Yeah. And one of the big through lines that I think made a lot of postal workers and probably still do, but definitely did in the 80s and 90s, feel helpless, powerless, and pushed to the brink yeah. was that they were um, they were subservient to their supervisors mm-hmm. who whose direct orders they had to follow. So imagine if imagine You're first that Jerry's Jerry. our boss. Okay. <laughs> Step two, imagine if if we said well, we're going to do an episode on going postal. Uh-huh. And Jerry said, I, I order you not to do that. I don't want you guys talking about that. You can't do it. Well, and you got to add, you're not doing two podcasts a week now. You're going to do eight. Okay. And and in not listening to Jerry, we could just lose our jobs just for that. Mm-hmm. She could be like, well, that's it. You didn't listen. You're fired. That was the culture. That was the structure. And I think still is at mm-hmm. the post office. You had to follow a direct order mm-hmm. from your supervisor, just like in the military. You had a choice. You either listened or you lost your job. Right. That was a big one. Okay. So that's kind of like this mindset of how you are coming into work every day. And you're getting this every day, multiple times a day yeah. from this person. How do you not start to kind of hate this person who keeps pushing you and pushing you? Yeah. And they were understaffed and overworked. That was a big one. Uh, working like sometimes up to 80 hours a week. With, I think Nixon had charged them with being profitable. Yeah. That's which where was a big turn happened. That's where neoliberalism comes in. Right. 
is this idea that um, so Nixon signed the Postal uh, Reorganization Act of 1971 mm-hmm. and said by 1983 the Postal Service needs to turn a profit. Mm-hmm. It's no longer going to be um, receiving taxpayer funding. It needs to make its own money. And we're going to open up competition from private industry, which is where FedEx and UPS came from. That's right. So it went from being a pretty cushy government job where, you know, you're, you had a pension and, you know, you were taken care of. You had a union, all this stuff, to all of a sudden you're like pitted in competition with like private industry. And now like uh, you can be fired at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Um, and you have no protections any longer. It happened overnight. Yeah. And a lot of people point to this as the Postal Service being among the first industry in the United States economy that was neoliberalized, mm-hmm. where competition, deregulation, all this stuff happened as like a model at the Postal Service first. And then it started to spread into the rest of industry, the rest of the economy, yeah. to where now it's just commonplace. It's just capitalism. You don't even call it neoliberalism anymore. Right. And it's just normal to us. It's just, you know, dog-eat-dog workplace where, you know, if your employer tosses you a, a few cents for, you know, your 401k, you're super grateful. Right. That is not what it was like before. Yeah. And the Postal Service was the first group to kind of undergo this transformation. And so some people say, well, they're the first ones who had workplace shootings. And if you follow it, the workplace shooting started to get more and more prevalent mm-hmm. as more and more of the economy was liberalized. Um, so much so that in the 80s, workplace shootings tripled by the by the end of the decade. Yeah. And they say, well, it was because of this neoliberal um, uh, revolution that came in and just upended that safety net Yeah. to where if you didn't produce, 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 you could be tossed out on the street and nobody be held accountable for that. Right. Some Super people, interesting. Some people don't handle that very well, and yeah. they can snap and come in and shoot up their workplace, and that's what some people um, explain the going postal as. Right, and you combine that with uh, incidents of mental illness right. and the gun culture in this country, mm-hmm. and this is where we are. Yeah. Um, another thing that was going on at the post office was, or the postal service, was that there was not much of a... Uh, there was no way to, if you had an issue, to really fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, their grievance process was just ridiculous. Um, as of April 2000, and this is when the Califano report was released, um, you would have to go to an you could file a grievance and go to an arb, and they would provide arbitration. Mm-hmm. But as of April 2000, there were 126,000 grievances awaiting arbitration, uh, which was one grievance for every seven workers. One out of seven had it filed an official grievance. Yeah, and that's that was, not just like I'm unhappy and I'm complaining. Yeah. to my you know spouse at home. Yeah, this is an official filed grievance. And from what I understand, to file an official grievance was a big deal because the um, your managers could retaliate against you with impunity. Right. And like harass you out of your job, basically. Yeah. Well, it's what we see now and for forever before this with. Uh, Filing a grievance on uh, like sexual harassment, mm-hmm. it's like you're you're probably on the way out the door if that happens. Yeah, I mean things are changing a little bit now. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so since 2006, um, this has really dropped off. Um, I think only four incidents since 2013, and two of those, or I'm sorry, three of the four were at uh, like a FedEx or a UPS. Yeah, but I guess going FedEx isn't really. Catchy. No. Going postal. Going postal is. Yeah. 
And now you can go postal at your local going postal franchise where you can pick up your mail. That's amazing. In relative security. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It is. What a weird world and country. It's what's weird to me is like you you want this to be wrapped up somehow and it's not. It's just kind of ongoing, but it's just turned into something else. Yeah. Spread. It's weird. Uh, well, if you want to know more about going postal, you can uh, look that up on the internet. See what you come up with. Um, and we are aware of the game Postal. I don't know if we mentioned it or not. We didn't. Okay. Is it no a video need? game? Yeah. How do, you, how do you get away with making a game like that? I think they, they really enjoyed the shock value of it. You think? Mm-hmm. It got The second one got banned in New Zealand and Australia, I read. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I think long ago it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this a safe cracking. We got we got a lot of good uh, remarks about safe cracking, mm-hmm. including one guy that said we did the best job of explaining how locks work, and that's I was like, really? Yeah. Did you listen to the same episode that we, <laughs> that we talked about? That was high praise. It was high praise. Yeah. Hey guys, just listen to the safe cracking. Great work. Uh, I am co-host of Heist podcast about the famous heist from history. Plug plug. Uh, I thought you did a solid, informative piece on safe cracking. Uh, a couple of things here. Chuck was actually correct. Some safe crackers do use acetylene torches. Uh, for example, the mysterious expert Australian safe cracker known as Mr. X. No. Wasn't that from Arrested Development? That was Mr. F. Oh, was it? Mr. F. <laughs> I watched a few of those the other night, too. Such a great show. It, yeah, it is great. Uh, it used, uh, Mr. X used an acetylene torch to cut a two-inch hole into the safe of Carrie Packer. At the time, the richest man in Australia mm-hmm. to steal five and a half million dollars in gold. <laughs> it's safe. Uh, two fun facts about the history of safe cracking. The little joker was a tool used in the early 1900s. It was a tin wheel you could place behind the combination dial of a safe. And when the bank manager would enter the combination to the vault each day, it would record the combination via little notches on the tin. Oh. It required a robber to break into the bank twice, though, once to plan it and once to retrieve it. Uh, but the upside is you could pull out the little joker, enter the combination, and walk right into the vault. Wow. But you double your exposure. Yeah, but that sounds like a pretty good way to do it if you're going to double your exposure. By the way, that safe I bought, it came and Emily was like, we really need a different kind of safe. <laughs> really? It's like, really? She's like, yeah. So now I got this stupid, heavy box. Right. That I'm not quite sure what to do with. I'm, uh, maybe I'll try and sell them on Craigslist or something. Sure. Do you remember the combo? Uh, I don't. I haven't said it, and it's oh, okay. and it's a, it's a key mm-hmm. mainly. So you're also you can sell it on Craigslist. <laughs> Have some weirdos come over to your house and buy a safe. I can maybe notarize something make for them pod- while they're there. Yeah, make a podcast <laughs> out of this. I think this is begging for it. Uh, and then another fun fact: Baron Max Shinburn mm-hmm. was a bank robber and machinist who took a job at the Lilly Safe Company. Uh, at the time, the biggest safe company in the U.S. during the late 1800s. He worked there for a year. Not only did he learn everything about how the safes worked, he also snuck little jokers into safes no. before they were shipped out. And then uh, when he quit, he and his crew traveled to the U.S. and broke into all these safes he had put the back doors into. Wow. They broke into so many Lily safes that some say Max and his crew were single-handedly responsible for putting Lily Safe Company out of business. Wow. Uh, he said all of us at the Heist Podcast... Are massive fans. And that is from uh, co-host Matt Unsworth. 
Matt, thank you so much for that. I think you gave us so much information. There's no need for anybody to go listen to the heist podcast. <laughs> no, I want to go check it out. In the foot. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty great podcast. I like a good heist movie, so maybe I'll like a good heist podcast. If you like a good heist movie, you're going to love a good heist podcast. I think so. Uh, well, thank you for writing in for that. That was pretty great. Um, let's see. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to let us know about your awesome podcast, we want to hear about it. You can go on to StuffYouShouldKnow.com, follow our social links there. I believe they're still there. Uh, and you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.